Those of you who know my husband Jeff might know, I may have shared it before, that his favorite scripture, one of his favorite scriptures is Ecclesiastes 7.2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. And that may sound to you like my husband's a bit on the morbid side, but it is not true. He actually is very blessed to get to go to a memorial service. He really firmly believes in these words that it is wise to take it to heart, to get that eternal perspective and to remember what is the end of every man. And I asked him recently, so how much of a different experience has this been for you as we have said goodbye to your dad, my father-in-law? Jeff, grieving over his father, he said, you know, going to memorial services for me has always been a great classroom, a great reminder, a great encouragement. He said, but when it was my dad, it was like I went to lab instead of class. I had to see that these two chemicals that come together really do produce a third element. And he says, it's been much richer. It's been a far greater taking it to heart. And I would say that the same has been true for me, watching my husband especially pour over the eulogy that he wrote for his dad, and then hearing my husband's remembrances on that memorial service last week, my heart was wrecked. How will Jeff be remembered by Austin? How will I? What could matter more than how those closest to us remember us? Sitting in Bob's service, hearing both Jeff and his daughter Sandy eulogize him, I had the realization that the eulogy that matters most is God's, not man's. In Matthew 25, we find the eulogy that God desires to give to each one of us, and it is well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, this is from a parable where Jesus is focusing on what we do with our faith. Not what we believe, but what we do with what we believe. What do we do with the faith we've been given? He tells us that we will be eulogized by God. We will be. And with a good eulogy will come rewards. Jesus actually encourages us in this parable in Matthew 25 to be motivated by the eulogy of God and the rewards of God to submit to, to to be a part of the good deeds he's prepared for us in advance to do. Now, these rewards are not eternal life. That is based solely on the work of the cross. Why should we gain from his reward? The reward of eternal life is solely faith alone, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. You have been saved by grace so that you may not boast. But Ephesians 2.10 says, You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works he prepared in advance for you to do. So yes, our faith is alone in the work of Christ, but it is to be a faith that is going to be rewarded for all eternity because we've done something with it. We have been saved by faith to do these good works and submitting to the good works that God has prepared for us to do and equips us to do and does through us will greatly affect our experience in heaven. That's throughout the scriptures. It will impact our own experience in heaven. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And again, there are two judgments. There's the white throne judgment where Jesus will step in and say, I've paid for her sin. Where we will, be, we will be pronounced guilty because our righteousness is as filthy rags. And Jesus, because of the work he's done on the cross and because of the faith we've placed in him, he will step in and say, this one's mine. Then there will be the judgment seat of Christ. Where then those who are in him, their works will be tested. They will be burned. And what will be evidenced is are the things that God created for us to do before the foundation of time that we did because he enabled us to do them. That is what will stand. Those will be our precious jewels that we lay at the foundation of Christ. It is significant that Jesus in Matthew 25 does not say, Well said, good and faithful servant. Well believed, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Donald Blosch says, We are accepted into heaven on the basis of faith alone. Don't miss this, ladies. But we are adorned in heaven on the basis of the fruits of that faith. Scripture offers enough teaching to convince us that there are eternal rewards for what we do with our faith, but not enough to answer all our questions. And I'm not going to answer every question you may have about this, and I pray that you'll do your own research. And this will not be exhaustive, but I do think in this ending chapter of Nehemiah, we get a glimpse of what these rewards are about and why it is good to be motivated by them. The thought of rewards, for many of us, and I, this has been my wrestling too, particularly the idea of being motivated to do good in order to get rewards, may trouble us. It doesn't feel biblical, but it is. And it pleases God that we be motivated by his rewards to do the things he's called us to do. Eternal, eternal rewards are the crowning piece of our salvation by grace. Eternal rewards are the crowning piece of our salvation by grace. We are freely forgiven. God empowers us then for good works and then rewards us, get this, rewards us for the good works that he has done through us. Rewards us for the works that he enables us to do and enables us to persevere through. I, I, that blows me away. That not only do I have a reward in Christ, but then he allows me to be a part of his kingdom, to do things that he empowers me to do, and then I get the reward for it. Does that blow you away? I hope it blows you away. I hope you chew on this. This is such an incredible reality. Because, ladies, our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah tells us. So God chooses to purify these deeds in his own sight, and then he honors them with a reward. Okay, be blown away. We can just go home. I mean, is, be blown away. Please be blown away with me. This is God. He wants us to be so amazed that he is not only our reward, but he also is our rewarder. To hear, well done, Derek Kidner says, is the most innocent and most cleansing of ambitions. Why? Because those are the things he prepared and then enables us to do. So as we wrap up Nehemiah, we see in chapter 13 that Nehemiah is a man marked by understanding this. You see in chapter 13 with that repeating of, oh my God, remember me, that Nehemiah is motivated by God's reward. 
And I also think it's fascinating to look at 13 and see what it is that Nehemiah, a man who so desperately knows God, who prays and fasts and weeps before him, what Nehemiah sees he will be rewarded for. What he's counting on God to be rewarded for. It's interesting that Nehemiah's desire for God to remember is actually a God-given desire. We must see that our desire for rewards, those blue ribbons in class, <laughs> is a God-given desire. But we unfortunately settle for the rewards of earth rather than pursue the rewards of heaven. Listen to how C.S. Lewis puts it. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of rewards, I love that phrase, promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Ouch. Nehemiah was effective in this world. Would you agree? As we have walked through these 13 chapters, was he effective for God's glory in this world? Why? Because Nehemiah didn't need this world's rewards. He was counting on the reward of God. God would be his judge. God would be his rewarder, not men. So what is crucial in understanding well done as we look at Nehemiah 13 What's the crucial in understanding that this is the most innocent of motivations is to see what good deeds Nehemiah counted on, to remember. What Nehemiah had done for God's people for his glory. And the first one we see that he wants God to remember is his deeds of compassion. And we've got to go back to chapter 5 for this one. But in chapter 5, 19, if you remember, Nehemiah says, Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Now, in that chapter 5, if you remember, this is when he had been established as governor and he refused to take the food of the governor. He refused to lay taxes on the people. He refused to, he provided for himself so that the people could recover and not be oppressed. And he also works alongside the people. He refuses to lord over them and then he continues to work alongside them to rebuild both the wall and this oppressed community. And he says, for my good, O God, remember these deeds. So we see that out of devotion to God, Nehemiah demonstrates compassion for God's people, counting on God to reward him for these things. And this word good, I love, says, so he says, for my good, for my ease, for my gladness, for my graciousness, for my joy, for my kindness, for my precious pleasure. He's not ashamed of being motivated. By God's reward, is he? And so I have to say, what about us? Is it right and good that out of a love for God and motivated motivated by his rewards, that we be committed to compassionate deeds that he has prepared in advance for us to do? Yes! It is good and it is right out of a devotion to God to be motivated to do compassionate deeds because those are the deeds he has prepared for us to do. Jesus desires that we trust him to reward compassion, 
that relieves poverty and oppression. Again, not that we believe it's important, not that we say it's important, but that we do something about it. And what Nehemiah did is he gave up what was rightfully his to relieve the burden of others. It is right and it is good that we have deeds marked by giving up what we really don't need, and sometimes even what we need, to relieve the burden of those who are poor and hurting and oppressed. Look, listen to what Jesus said. Then looking to him, there was a young man who came to him and wanted to know what he could do to have eternal life. Jesus loved him, don't miss that, and said to him, you lack one thing, sell all you have, give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. We see Jesus' promise of reward. That as we let go of what we think is our inheritance, what we think we are owed, and we release it to relieve the burdens of others, that there is a reward. Jesus desires that we trust him to reward compassion that is willing to walk away with what the world, from what the world offers and to deny ourselves and to follow him. Nehemiah walked away from all the rights of a governor. He denied the worldly rewards for his high position and instead chose to follow God in order to relieve the suffering of others. Listen again to what Jesus told his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, or save his reputation, or save his position of power. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Again, not according to what he's believed, not according to what he has said, but to what he has done. Jesus desires that we trust him to reward compassion that also comes alongside those who are working in this process to restore and to rebuild and to revive, to come along and get our hands dirty. Nehemiah was not, you know, in some ivory tower, you know, sending down messages through his little walkie-talkie, okay, I think that wall needs to be straightened over there. No, he was in the mix. He was getting dirty. He was working alongside the people. And he was vulnerable, wasn't he? He said, not only the sins of my, the people, but my sins and the sins of my father. So he was vulnerable. He identified with their sinfulness. He was humble and he got his hands dirty. God desires that we do that and he rewards it. And not only that, he has enabled by his spirit for us to do that and has preordained that we should do it. Hebrews 10 is a great offering of that kind of reward. And in this, the Hebrew writer is writing to the Hebrews who are who are coming alongside those who are being persecuted for their faith. Murad, Umida. What are we doing, ladies? Are we interceding on their behalf? Are we getting our hands dirty, in, inconveniencing our time and our energies and our resources to come alongside those who are having to fight the good fight, to be restored, to be revived, to be rebuilt, and to see others come in? Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. For you had compassion on those in prison, prison for their faith, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your own property. Because at that time, if you identified with them, you got persecuted. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Confidence in the next world. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then Hebrews 6.10, 
God is fair. He will not forget what you have done. He will reward those deeds of compassion that are willing to suffer with those who suffer. And what's ironic to me, and so beautiful, is that those who trust him to reward their compassion don't need to think about doing compassion anymore. Because he is so working in them and through them that they become compassion rather than think how to be compassionate. And we see this in Jesus' parable in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the righteous, right-related, connected to the Father in such a way that his deeds are working through them. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Talk about the crowning jewel of our salvation by faith. Wow. Imagine hearing Jesus say those words. There will be no greater joy. Randy Alcorn says, The receiving of reward from Christ is unspeakable gain with eternal implications. Unspeakable gain with eternal implications. And so the next area where we see Nehemiah is trusting in God, motivated by the reward of God to to do deeds of goodness for God, is the area of correction. Ouch, and this one's harder for many of us than compassion. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Nehemiah 13, 14. Nehemiah is referring to correcting disobedience of the people, throwing out Tobiah and all of the sin that's happening in the middle of the temple, confronting Eliashib, the priest, and bringing the sacred articles back into the temple and appointing faithful men. He is counting on God to remember that deed of correcting disobedience and correcting distrust. Remember, he confronts the Sabbath, the profaning of the Sabbath. He confronts distrust in the rest that God commands. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O God. Out of love for God and motivated by God's rewards, Nehemiah confronts the people's desecration of the Sabbath. Why? Because they were refusing to be satisfied in God. They were looking to trading to satisfy them to save them, to sustain them. God rewards compassionate or correcting deeds that bring back trust in God to provide. Remember my correcting of the desecration of the holy temple. Nehemiah 13.29, we see a peek into him wanting God to remember bad deeds too of others. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And then if you remember in that passage, he goes on to talk about how he reinstated all of that, the, the correct offerings and cleansed the priesthood. And he says, remember me for this. So again, out of a love for God and motivated by God's rewards, Nehemiah confronts the people's acceptance of the pollution of the most holiest of positions, which is the priesthood. 
The priesthood in that time stood between sinful man and God and reconciled them. If that person is polluted, what happens? There was no reconciliation able to happen between the people and God. What greater thing could we be about than restoring holiness to the place of ministry, those who are called to be ministers of reconciliation, which actually is all of us. Nehemiah brought back pure reconciliation, the holiness of interceding between God and man. So what about us? Is it right, out of a love for God, being motivated by the rewards of God, to be committed to deeds of correcting within the body of Christ? Absolutely. Jesus desires this. Brothers, Galatians 6, 1 and 9 through 10, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Talk about desecration and disobedience. Talk, those are pretty heavy burdens, aren't they? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. I confess, I did not realize before that this not growing weary of doing well and reaping a harvest, that's actually about eternity. I sometimes think that means today. It doesn't. It's not a promise of today. It's a promise of eternity, an eternal reward. That tells me that I'm not going to get that reward here, most cases. Don't grow weary and continue to do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of God. Be about correcting disobedience, distrust, desecration. Jesus desires that we not grow weary, that we trust that he will enable us and then reward us for correcting these areas. I was recently blasted for um, an area of, of correction. I believe, I believe I did it in humility. I believe before God, I didn't do it alone, and with much prayer that it was done um, with gentleness, and I have been <laughs> reviled against, insulted, called everything. And I have to say, honestly, when it happened last week, it was between morning and evening um, teaching, it really threw me off for the evening. I, was, I, I confess, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to confess, that it really shook me. And I had to realize, I'm letting an approval of a person if there's something, Lord, I did in this correcting that is, was, was arrogant or ungentle, convict me, show me, and let me seek forgiveness. But if I have evaluated all that, then free me of the need for a reward on earth. And let me trust that as I'm about correcting within the body, I'm going to be hated for it. I'm going to be misunderstood because sin is deceitful. And when you correct someone who's in sin, if they don't surrender to sin surrender their sin and become, become repentant, they don't see what you see and they will hate you and they will call you everything. And the enemy will use those names to keep you from not doing the good deed of correction you're called to do. We must trust that Jesus will reward and trust him to not wipe these deeds out. It's interesting that in this section, Nehemiah says, don't wipe it out. He doesn't say it in the other ones, and I think it's significant. For again, these deeds of correction, we will not be applauded for. We will not 
It won't even be remembered by many, and instead we will be hated. Even within the church, may I say especially within the church. But we can trust God to reward. Listen to what he says in Luke 6.22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when revile you, spur your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Again, not on account of our, our ickiness, but on account of what God has called us to do. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Ladies, if you take a look at what people did, God's people did to God's prophets, they put them to death. But you know what? They were God's men. Better to be called God's woman than to be applauded. You may even be excluded from family. Some of us have had to correct within our own families, and we've had to walk away from family members. We've been shoved out the door from family members because of being about these good deeds of correction. What a reward Jesus promises. He understands the pain. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. A hundredfold. One of the other translations or one of the other gospels says hundredfold in this lifetime. Meaning we also have a reward here. And I think that's the peace of God. Also implied is that if men don't hate us for it and don't applaud us for it, more than likely they're also going to forget all about it. And possibly return back to their vomit. Go back to the sin that you've corrected them for. We have to persevere and trust in the next world to be effective in this one. Piper says, when we understand what it means to be promised a reward from God, any prospects of rewards from others or any bitterness for not being rewarded by them will shrink in comparison. And honestly, ladies, that's where I was able to, finally able to shrink, is when somebody read a scripture in our evening leader meeting and I realized what it meant that if, if I had done this in the way God had asked me to do, that there was a pleasure in Jesus, it released me. It shrunk in comparison. We have to be so focused on the next world to be effective in this one. Or we will shrink back from what he's called us to do. Lastly, we see cleansing. Nehemiah 13.31, And I provided for the wood offering at the appointed times for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Nehemiah is counting on God to remember the cleansing devotion he did. He assigned the duties to the priests and the Levites to offer sacrifice. He reinstated this ability for the people to be reconciled to God. He was about reconciliation. Now, I find this incredibly fascinating. What do we remember Nehemiah for in the church? What, are we, what is he remembered for? The wall. Does Nehemiah ask to be remembered for the wall? Interesting. What do we remember Nehemiah for? His leadership. Yes, that could be implied in some of the things he says, but you know, bottom line is, he wants to be remembered for reconciling God's people to God. The rest is just a vehicle. That is the bottom line of what we will be rewarded for, for all eternity, is the things we've done, whether it's compassion, correction, or cleansing, that have brought people into a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe, brought them into a place of worship of the one true God. Nehemiah knows what God remembers is far different than what man remembers. He even knew then, maybe, that he'd be remembered for a wall. But he knows that God remembers. And isn't it interesting that God honored his prayer by actually having a whole book in the Bible named after him? 
But I believe he wants us to see not so much a wall, but a reconciling of God's people to himself. What do we want to be remembered for? If we're honest, we'd like to be remembered for walls. The spectacular, the 52-day resurrections of, of things that are burnt and broken. But what does God remember? As I sat in my father-in-law's eulogy, I thought about that. I thought the things we're remembering, as precious as they are, are these what God remembers? What does God remember about my father-in-law that I don't even know about? The ways in which he trusted God to be a reconciler that were quiet and sweet and precious in God's sight. Reconciliation is the only success that matters. Francis Chan says, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but it's succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Are we about walls to impress people? Are we about reconciliation? That is at the heart of Nehemiah's compassion. That is at the heart of Nehemiah's um, correction. That is at the heart of Nehemiah's cleansing. Because Nehemiah fasted, prayed, and wept to have the heart of God. These are the good things that will withstand the test of fire. Reconciliation is our hope. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul is saying, there is nothing I can boast in before the Lord except you. Because first of all, God brings you, not me. But I got to be a part of it by submitting to the Spirit within me, submitting to the good work that He prepared in advance for me to do. I got to be a part of seeing you come into the family of faith, being reconciled to God through the forgiveness of sins. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're my reward. These are the things that will stand the test of fire. 1 Corinthians 3.13 And each person's work will be shown for what it is. On Judgment Day, it will be brought to light. It will be put through fire. The fire will test how everyone's work good how, how good everyone's work is. If the building doesn't burn up, God will give the builder a reward for his work. If the building burns up, and this should give us a holy fear, the builder will lose everything. The builder will be saved, but only like one escaping through the flames. Saved because of Jesus Christ. The white throne judgment, they're saved. But the judgment seat of Christ, nothing. Smell like smoke. I don't know about you ladies, I don't want to go into eternity smelling like smoke. I want to have the joy of laying before his feet in worship the deeds of compassion, correction, and cleansing that he prepared in advance for me to do because bottom line is, as I submit to them, I become like him. I don't even realize I'm doing them like the sheep. Are we building upon our faith, fruits of faith? We will not be rewarded for what we believe, what we say. We will be rewarded for what we do. And if we come in to eternity smelling like smoke, we will have missed laying precious stones at his feet. Let me tell you, you don't want to miss that. I don't get it that our rewards are different. I don't get it that it will be different for each of us because there cannot be envy or jealousy because there is no self. 
All I can picture is, is those of us who smell like smoke are going to look at those who have lots to lay at his feet and say, oh, I'm so rejoicing that somebody has much to lay at his feet. And their joy will be complete watching others lay what they can. But I don't want to be on the sideline. Do you want to be on the sideline? May it not be so. That means we will miss being transformed by these works. We will miss being caught up in his kingdom. May we, may we not be half-hearted creatures settling for mud pies in the slum when a day at the beach is waiting for us. When we see his face, ladies, I am utterly convinced that no matter how much we have the latest feet, we will wish we had more. I am utterly convinced that when we see his face, we will want to lay a zillion times more than what we have. Martin Luther said, it is, it is said that Martin Luther, Luther had on his calendar only two days, today and that day. What a precious way to live today. But all that matters is today and that day, where we get to worship him by throwing that crown at his feet. Now, we can't leave this passage without seeing something incredibly crucial that Nehemiah says. And we're going to wrap up with this. Nehemiah, in 13.22, says, Spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. We cannot miss this phrase. Otherwise, this could turn into a works thing. As much as I've tried not to tell you, it's about works. Nehemiah is counting on God to first spare him before he rewards him. He is counting on a Messiah. He is counting on the loving kindness of God to step in and to be his salvation so that he can be rewarded. This word spare means to cover, to be compassionate, to have pity. The word greatness is God's excellence, plentiful abundance, and steadfast love and mercy is kindness, piety, favor, mercy. So bottom line is, Nehemiah is saying, cover me with the abundance of your mercy. Spare me according to my acknowledgement of a need of a Savior. Remember me based on the eulogy of your Messiah. That's what he's saying, the promised Messiah. Remember me, Lord God, based not on my eulogy, but on the eulogy of the Messiah that you have promised, who will take away the sins of Israel. Ladies, we are covered with the abundance of God's mercy because God remembered, res- responds, well done, to Christ's compassion. His willingness to be poor so that we could be rich. A richness that then enables him, that enables us by his power and his strength to then bu- do have compassionate deeds that then he rewards us for. Again, does it not blow you away that he is our reward? And then he rewards us based on the things that he has empowered us to do. We are covered in the excellence of God's mercy because God remembers, responds, well done to Christ's correction and his cleansing. Becoming sin on our behalf so that we can be righteous. He is our greatest reward. And being our great reward, he then enables us to do good deeds of correction and cleansing that then he rewards us for. It's like someone taking your test for you. I mean, come on. And you get a perfect score on the SAT. Behold, I am coming soon, 
bringing my recompense, my reward with me to repay everyone for what he has done that I enabled him to do. Randy Alcorn ends it this way. The bottom line in all of this is that what you do in this life has eternal importance. What you do with your time and your money and all your resources in this life is the last chapter of your autobiography. The book you have written with the pen of faith and the ink of works will go unedited into eternity. When he returns, it's too late, ladies. To be seen and read as is by the angels, the redeemed, and God himself. I think as we end Nehemiah, I pray that we may find our desire strong for the unblushing promises of rewards given to us in the gospel, that we see that they are the crowning piece of our salvation by grace, that we think deeply about the world to come so that we can be effective in this one. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deed of the saints. Oh, Father, in a group full of women, we get the bride thing. And we get that it's about the dress. And the motivation behind that beautiful dress is to be beautiful for the groom. The beauty you desire is what we will lay at your feet in worship. The well done. Because we have moved in the grace that you have given and evidenced fruits from our faith for your glory, which is always our good. Thank you for being our reward and blowing us away by being our rewarder.